This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. I'm Stephen Metcalf, and this is the Slate Culture Gab Fest Summer Strut 22 edition. It's Wednesday, July 27th, 2022. On today's show, well, uh, presumably you kind of know already, I don't even write a script for this episode. I just write the word funnest over and over again in a Word document. It's the Summer Strut episode. Uh, let me begin by introducing my uh, co-conspirators here. Julia Turner is the deputy managing editor of the LA Times. Julia, welcome back. Hello. I'm so glad to be back and so glad to be strutting. Yeah, what a delight. And of course, Dana Stevens is the film critic for Slate.com. Hey, Dana. Hey, Steven. And uh, joining us every year for the Summer Strut and many other episodes of the Culture Gap Fest is Chris Melanthi. He's the host of the Hit Parade podcast for Slate. He also writes the uh, Why Is This Song Number One column. Chris, welcome back. Thank you so much, Steve, and uh, happy summer to everybody. Yeah, you're the OFOP, the omniscient friend of the program. I feel like there's, <laughs> there's kind of an almost like stump Chris element to this show in addition to everything else that's charming about it, is uh, is we get to see how much you know about so many different kinds of music. It's always very, very fun. I'll do my best. So for those listeners who may have never heard uh, the Summer Strut episode before, Julia, it originated with you, really. Yeah, it originated the last time I made a major uh, move across a body of water when I moved from Brooklyn to Manhattan, and I suddenly <laughs> had a walking commute instead of a subway commute. And I was bored of all my music and said to our listeners in an offhanded way, more than 10 years ago now, I think, uh, I need some music to strut to. I've got like this, you know, mile odd walk. I want to like be bopping down the streets of New York. Hit me up. And so many listeners sent amazing songs that we decided we should do an episode about it. And then not every year since, but quite regularly since and annually for at least the last five, six, seven years, uh, we've done a summer strut episode where we put out the call. You guys put out an amazing number of responses. We had record of an overwhelmingly record crop this year. Um, and we try to find music that makes us buoyant and bouncy and joyful and happy um, or whatever our own particular strut parameters are. Part of the fun is that we all have slightly different ones. And um, I'm so happy to be back after taking last year off to have that baby. So I'm overdue for some Stratton. All right. Well, I think we're all overdue. Now, there is a one, you know, order of business here, which is that we begin not with Strut per se, but with uh, Song of the Summer. Chris, uh, what are the candidates this year? So I would summarize this year's uh, Song of the Summer competition as packed with very good songs, but not suspenseful. The Song of the Summer is probably in the bag already because it's been number one for, I believe, now 10 weeks on the Hot 100. And, and for those who don't know, Billboard for the last dozen years or so has compiled an actual Songs of Summer chart where all they do is they aggregate the weekly Hot 100 data. So they just pile it on week after week and figure out what song was most dominant over the summer, which is more or less how it should be. And if you go to Billboard.com, they will tell you They've gone backwards and calculated what the song of the summer is all the way back to, I think, 1959, just after the Hot 100 started. But, um, you know, it's been it's been really a thing for the last, say, 15 years. 
And uh, anyway, this year's Song of Summer prohibitive favorite, because it's been number one for like 10 weeks on the Hot 100, is Harry Styles' As It Was, which is the lead single from his blockbuster album, Harry's House. Uh, and so maybe this is the moment when we should listen to a little bit of As It Was, which is uh, certainly perky and, and fun. And I would even call it summery. So what I like about that song is not just the, you know, chorus hook, but that bouncy synth, uh, you know, melody that keeps recurring throughout the song. It's funny, I just did an episode of Hit Parade that was about an 80s dance genre called freestyle. And one of the points I made in that was that there are certain freestyle songs. I wouldn't I wouldn't call this Harry Styles song freestyle, but my point is that there are certain freestyle songs where the synthesizer is almost a voice on the song. It's kind of like the singer is singing and then the you know, the synth line comes in almost as counterpoint. And that's very much happening with this Harry Styles song where like, you know, he goes as it was and then the D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D keeps coming back. Um, and it's been all over the radio since roughly May. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of like the ethereal bop of the summer. Uh, so I don't know if there are any any reactions to Harry Styles' prohibitive favorite, but I, I should put that out there first. I don't know. That song doesn't have enough gears or something it's like too smooth you can't catch on it or something it's a little too fast i don't know it's fine but it's i don't think it's even my favorite song on that album but uh who am i to argue with america well no go ahead and go in on the album because the album has been played a lot and there are deeper cuts on the album like late night talking or music for a sushi restaurant that have started to pile up their own radio and spotify airplay Music for a sushi restaurant is the one that that feels a little hookier to me. Horn break on a pop song, you got me right there, as you'll hear in my list to come. That's all you have to do is throw in a little horn break, and I'm I'm there. I mean, but this this raises an interesting question, sort of two related questions. One is I think we've always assumed there's some natural synergy between summer strutting and song of the summer, and it seems to be breaking down a little bit this year. Leading into the second question, which is why is the song of summer? I mean, with it, it's earning the title crispy for commercial reasons, but uh but why is it spirit so bland? Are people just unconvinced by a certain kind of pep? It's going to sound forced, even if uh, even if it's not really. I mean, I do think certain songs of the summer are atmosphere builders as much as like strutters. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some examples throughout history. In 1983, the song of the summer, also the number one song of the year, was Every Breath You Take by The Police, which mm. I wouldn't call like a jam exactly, it, but it was everywhere, right? And it was very atmospheric and moody. More recently, in 
2018, uh, In My Feelings by Drake was the song of the summer. And that was hardly the most up-tempo song on that Drake album, but it was this kind of moody bop that everybody was kind of swooning to that year. Risha, do you love me? Are you riding? Say you never ever leave from beside me. Cause I want you and I need you. So it is possible for a song of the summer to be more moody and swoony than, you know, boppy per se. Mm, um, okay. I would also say that I, I will confess that when I wrote about this song for Why Is the Song Number One, I wasn't sure that it was going to last. First of all, I found the the chorus hook unmemorable as as a phrase, just as it was, is kind of a very neutral group of words. I, I For the first week it was out, I had trouble remembering, what's that Harry Styles song called? Uh, you know, right. I Am Me, or it, it, it didn't stick with me. And it grew on me. I mean, I'm actually now very fond of it, but I, it's not my favorite track on the, on the Harry's House album. And I compared it that week to another song that is doing very well in the Song of Summer competition, which we could play if we want right now, which is First Class by Jack Harlow. Those two songs went to number one back to back, but they both debuted at number one. And they both debuted at number one largely because Jack Harlow and Harry Styles are just hot, hot, hot right now. And to some extent, anything they put out would go right in at number one. Um, I'm less of a fan of the Jack Harlow track. It leans heavily on a sample or really an interpolation of Fergie's Glamorous, which was a number one hit way back in 2007. And uh, it's cheeky, it's um, smarmy, it's, uh, you know, catchy in its way. Maybe we should play first class. Reactions, that's Jack Harlow, who's kind of the currently hot, I'll just say it, white rapper. <laughs> he is, uh, you know, trying to ascend to the hip-hop throne. He's no Eminem yet. Uh, his album didn't open as strongly as people thought it might. Um, but uh, this is his technically second number one hit because he was a guest on Lil Nas X's Industry Baby, which went to number one last year. And uh, he had a big hit in 2020 called What's Poppin'. Uh, and this is kind of his biggest solo hit since What's Poppin'. I mean, that song doesn't particularly do anything for me, but I had a, more of a meta thought about Song of the Summer, which I feel like we've observed this every summer, but it's been so much more pronounced since COVID. And now it seems to be a permanent feature of the landscape, which is like, I, I never hear any of those three songs you just played. And I know really? I'm not a huge pop music listener, but generally the Song of the Summer or songs that are in the air in, in a given summer are familiar, right? I mean, they're familiar because they're blasting out of cars or you hear them, hear them when you're out at a bar or I don't know, you hear them in public. And I just feel like the sense that public space is disappearing and shrinking is very clear to me. And the fact that I guess the second, the second Harry Styles you played, maybe because we've talked about him on the show, I have heard that one before, but those songs just feel like they could be from any summer to me. And they don't, they mm. don't evoke any feeling of walking down the street in 2022. Yeah, I mean, this maybe brings up a question that um, a listener asked us, which is, is Strut different for me now that I live in LA and drive around a lot? And the it's true that the sense, you know, the the to me, the canonical song of summer experience is like, you're on a sidewalk, having a good time, and someone else drives by in a car, having a different good time. And the music that's blaring out of your windows 
of their windows might not be the exact same music you have on, but it's like the music you mentally have on in your brain. And it feels like they're contributing to your party vibe. When you are all in cars and everyone else is in cars, the, the kind of ambient music listening experience is a little different. I would say in my like suburbs, but city, but suburbs neighborhood here, you hear other people's backyard barbecue music is like the version of it, <laughs> which is fine. Like that, that's a little bit of the same idea. Um, it feels to me like communal music listening right now happens like in TikTok instead of on city streets. And I don't know how much of that has to do with my location or, um, or what, I mean, it, it makes me wonder, like I, I would, I'm surprised when you said, Oh, there's an inevitable song, Chris, I sort of assumed it was going to be that Lizzo song. That's like the new song, but it's probably not that new that everybody does the thing to on TikTok. And is that even in the conversation or no? It's absolutely in the conversation. I was going to bring it up next. It's currently ranked fourth on the Songs of Summer chart, and it may rise even higher because Lizzo just released her album a week ago, and it did pretty well on the charts, and it's probably going to give a lift. It's entirely possible that this song, About Damn Time, is going to rise to number one on the Hot 100, if not this week, then next week, and uh, I may be writing about it. And it's it's a pretty joyous disco-inflected bop. Uh, Lizzo's ability to come back with these kind of universal bops like Truth Hurts or Good As Hell is sort of a, a minor miracle. And uh, here she is with uh, another, you know, summer jam. So, you know, go Lizzo. Uh, let's listen to About Damn Time. That's the song of summer. Come on. Yeah, I agree. That's a much better contender. Much, much better contender. I agree. All right. July, July 25th. I'm calling it. That song's going to lap him. It's going to take over. That song just has more teeth <laughs> as it was. It's too weak a contender. It's like a scrawny little guy like holding up the tr- the the belt in the uh in the boxing ring doesn't know what's coming for it <laughs> i uh, thought you were going in for the i thought you were going in for the kill kill and saying it's like the scrawny little guy holding up the boom box like john Cusack. oh no i i love that although nadira wisely points out in our chat that beyonce's album comes out friday so uh fair we may talk about Beyonce during the regular strut discussion because somebody submitted her current hit for strut. And, uh, that's, uh, that's a bop and a half. It, I, I'm hoping that uh, she gets a big lift when the album comes out. Cause that, that song's a total jam. Uh, so let's hold on that. The only other song I want to mention in terms of song of summer, because it's in the top five on the song of summer chart. And we talked about it on this show just a month ago, but Kate Bush is running up that hill folks. It is not dying. It is still in the top five as we speak. I can't tell you, as somebody who's followed these charts for decades, how improbable this is. This does not happen. This song from 1985 is rising on radio playlists. Like, I was checking the radio chart, and it's now, like, in the top 25 at all U.S. radio stations, which may not sound like much, but for, again, a 40-year-old record is kind of remarkable. It's getting more play than, like, the current Kid Leroy single. And uh, it's been lodged in the top 10 nonstop since early June. So just, you know, you cannot keep running up that hill down, it continues to run up that hill. 
All right. On that heartwarming note, then let's uh, throw it out to our listeners. If you've got a song of summer we didn't talk about or, or uh, a rebuke to us for our, our choices, uh, send them in via email and uh, let's move on. All right. Before we go any further, Dana, we have uh, some business this week. What uh, What do we got? Our business, like our entire show this week, is summer strut related. Our only item of business is to tell you about today's Slate Plus segment, which will be bonus songs. We can never cram in even close to the number of songs we want to in our regular rounds. So we save a few songs for bonus rounds and continue discussing them with Chris Malamfi. So that will be our Slate Plus segment today. It's also worth noting, strut-wise, that we will compile all of our, our songs that we talk about today in Plus and Otherwise into one winnowed-down playlist that's basically the Chris, Dana, Steve, Julia picks from the many, many song list that you submitted to us. So you'll be able to find that on our show page after this show posts. If you're a Slate Plus member, keep on listening for bonus songs at the end of the show. And if you are not a Plus member yet, you can sign up at slate.com slash culture plus. Okay, Steve, let's strut. All right. Well, as I said up top, as I've said tiresomely for weeks now, this is, the for me, the funnest episode of the year. There's tons of listener interaction. We got well in excess of 600 submissions this year. Julia, is that about right? Yes, record year. Record year. Yep. So something like 40 hours of music to sift through its very fun. It's not a chore at all. The only thing hard about it is the sveltification process down to a final list of somewhere between like 12 and 15 songs for each of us. Kind of painful, but uh, but we did it, right? So let's start with you, Julia. What uh, Lead us off. What do you got? Okay. Well, it was interesting to return to Strut after a year off. And are you guys familiar with the Parker effect? No. Okay, so Robert Parker is like the premier wine critic, and he developed this point rating system for wine where every wine can be rated on a scale of 100. And he has a number of critics who say that he's too influential and that people are tailoring their wines to his palate and that his palate is like fucked because, and and forgive me all you wine experts out there who, who will perhaps quibble with this broad description, but the basically... The process of tasting wines your whole life and awarding them points from one to a hundred means that the kinds of wines that jump out to you are like specific and robust and kind of shouty and attention grabbing. And there is a set of people who think that um, Parker is too powerful a critic and that the practice of tasting wines his whole life uh, has sort of messed him up and, and you know, I, I, I'm probably oversimplifying this, but that he's just all about those jammy reds and he can't appreciate the subtleties of a fine burgundy. And I feel like these 600 plus songs turned me into Robert Parker. And I, re- I like not even sure I can vouch for the songs that I'm about to tout today because they're all jammy reds. Like they're all like goofy, like they're <laughs> mere novelty songs. They all kind of have the air of like songs that you would have heard the campus band perform in the like weird underground lair where they let you drink when you're 21. Like, I don't know, man, something weird happened to me. Jammy Reds all the way. But the song that that most consistently made me pump my fist and crack up every time it came on in my little ever winnowing rotation is a song called Birding by (laughs) Sweatshop Boys, Riz Ahmed, and Heems. And uh, I would propose that we listen to a clip. You know I'm birding, baby. Bird song. Where my binoculars at? Bird song. I'm with the trees, bird song. 
I'm looking for birds, yo. Bird song. I've been to hell and back and then hell again. Brown pelican, streets is where I dwell again. All your rappers on the mic sound dull. Me, I'm fly, swallow tailed gull. I drop facts, call me Snapple. I'm in the sky, I'm a boat tailed grackle. I'm on the block. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Julia? I actually. Did not put this on my list because I was sure that you would put it on yours. I mean, between the subject matter and you being the birder of our crew and also just the the pure goofy joy of it, I'm really happy you put it on your list. But I had a premonition. Also, I just have to say that as a huge fan of Riz Ahmed, the actor, it's great to hear a little of Riz Ahmed, the rapper, which I gather in, in the UK, he's sort of known equally well as both. Yeah, I had known that he was a rapper, but I'd never heard any of the music. And I wasn't looking at the thing when I was like, what is this song? And I was like, surely this will wear off and I won't actually like this song. I will just like the idea of this song. But then I just kept liking the song. Then I was like, oh, my God, this is what you've been rapping? Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It's it is amazing. They mention like probably a couple dozen actual birds like they they take the premise of the song quite seriously. (laughs) It also gets goofier as it goes along. There's a part at the end where they shout that they're using the call of a loon and then they name like six different loons um and then they just list they're like you couldn't rhyme bird names and then they just list a bunch of bird names that they don't rhyme and they get to dowager <laughs> and then they're like that's a bird <laughs> anyway what do we need to know about this musical act chris um so sweatshop boys is um a trio when you include their producer but it's primarily the duo of hemes uh, AKA Himanshu Suri, for, uh, formerly of Das Racist. And uh, again, as we just mentioned, Riz MC, who is Riz Ahmed of The Night Of and Sound of Metal, an actual Oscar nominee uh, from for Sound of Metal. Um, and, you know, Das Racist were kind of a thing in the aughts. Um, speaking of goofy tracks, if you've ever heard the, it's more a meme than a song, but um, combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, where they mostly repeat the line, I'm at the Taco Bell, I'm at the Pizza Hut, I'm at the combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. That's kind of the satirical vibe that Heems has in his previous life. And since he's formed um, Sweatshop Boys, you can hear some of that carrying over in birding. Um, They are quite seriously something of a satirical, socially commenting kind of group. For example, they had a track called T5, which was an actual protest song against airport security racism with the lines, Inshallah, Mashallah, hopefully no martial law. That was a bit of a thing in 2017, right after Donald Trump got elected and was actually being chanted by crowds at protests. So like, they can be non-goofy, but this is them in full goofy mode. And, uh, you know, it's it's got the same... I read an interview with Heems where he's like uh, when they back when he was with Das Racist and he talked about uh, combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. He says, this song is dumb shit and I like dumb shit. And uh, there's a dumb shit aspect to this birding song, too, except with all the bird names in it. It's it's kind of smart. (laughs) So go figure. All right, Dana, what's your what's your opening bid here? You know, I think I have the opposite of Julia's Jammy Reds problem. My my list is so all over the place that I kind of didn't know where to start because it doesn't have an organizing mood of any kind. But I think I'll just start 
with the song that is maybe the most stuck in my head. This is literally the song I woke up singing this morning and made my coffee with this stuck in my head. And I was also sort of proud that I like this song because it's from a new album. And uh, and, uh, I didn't realize that this singer who I'd never heard of had just come out with her debut album this year. The singer is CMAT. She's an Irish singer-songwriter, and the song is called Every Bottle is My Boyfriend. And it's, well, we'll listen to a bit. It's a combination of extremely hooky, karaoke-able pop music and a really, really sad lyric that is basically about addiction. And it's, it's this, you know, lament of a girl who keeps on going out, getting drunk, and coming back feeling empty. We should listen to a little bit of the, the main chorus because it's ultra catchy. I mean, can I sell you guys on this song? It's just such a beautiful combination of of joy and pain. I just think it's an incredible feat of songwriting. This was on my list too. I love this song. It, it's so sneaky because it you don't see it coming. How dark it's going to be when you're bopping along to it, and then the more you think about it, the more gnarly it gets. It's 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 beautiful. This is so funny. This is a classic example of a song that wouldn't leap out at me, but it sounds like it just grows with each listen it's amazing you guys connected with it on a very quick first pass and then gave it a chance to you know all of its levels of expression to come out with repeated listens chris what's the background on this one so yeah cmat ciara mary alice thompson i hope i'm pronouncing her first name right because it's spelled c-i-a-r-a um she just dropped her debut lp if my wife knew i'd be dead um and you know, she's kind of like, this is going to sound bizarre, but she's kind of like indie country. Um, you know, she's she's almost leaning toward an Americana slash country vibe, but she's from Dublin. Um, and the song, is what I love about it is it's structured as country, but with kind of indie pop singing and a bit of a yodel on the chorus. Um, and I, I just really love that that chugging beat. It's, it's kind of hard to pigeonhole because, again, she's Irish. Parts of it sound like indie rock. Parts of it sound like straight up country, and um, it's it's kind of not not any one thing. It really made me want to hear the rest of her album. This is from her first album, which just came out a couple months ago, because it feels like it's coming from somebody who, as you say, Chris, has a lot of musical influences, and I would imagine that she has a, a wide range, and you know, in how different songs sound. And country music does well in Ireland, so it's it doesn't surprise me that she would have a country influence and then be weaving that into the mix, but um, it's still remarkable. It's, it's really hard to place it in any one genre, which is great. So I would say that, that this year, building on the Robert Parker analogy, I kept finding either boxed wines on the supermarket shelf <laughs> that revealed layer upon layer of interesting you know, complexity, um, or super fancy, seemingly arcane, esoteric wines, you know, for snobs that were surprisingly crowd-pleasing if you gave them a chance. Like, that was kind of my weird Venn overlap this year. So I'm going to start with a song that just earwormed me. 
virtually from the first listen. And uh, the title of it also just grabbed me right away. Grumpy Old Man by Remy Wolf. Chris, I don't know, that just that chorus just got, I, I got mesmerized by it and it was just repeating inside my head. And sometimes the only way, you know, to deal with an earworm is just to play it and play it and play it. I still kind of haven't gotten over the charms of that song. Tell me about it. I mean, that chorus got that long hair, long beard, turtleneck sweater. I don't know what it means, but it's catchy as hell. At one point in the song, she sings it with a Southern accent, which is even funnier. Got that long hair, long beard, which cracks me up. Um, Her debut album, this is from Juno, is the name of the album. It came out in 2021. Uh, Pitchfork gave it a mostly rave review saying, you know, her style manages to be funky without sounding cloyingly retro. I would agree with that. She's based in California, but her background is all over the place. She's Sicilian on one side and Russian Persian on the other side. So... Again, like uh, we were just talking about with CMAT, somebody who's kind of impossible to pigeonhole. And uh, I, I also particularly love that line, I'm so defensive. She keeps repeating that in the the, uh, the verses. I'm so defensive, this, that, and the other thing. I've got boobies on my booty. I've got feelings in my feelings. I've got violets on my violence. Um, so there's a lot of clever wordplay in that. And I think that's part of what makes it so infectious. This song was actually in the strut list for last year, which I listened a bunch to and was going to like try to get it together to join. And I never did. But I've had this on my like mega mix for a year because I it flagged me last year. And I actually like never really listened to the lyrics of it until just now, or at least that opening stanza where it's like, it's an act of pop song empathy for like a cranky old white man who feels overtaken by the times. Like it's an, it's an unusual posture. At least that was, that was my quick gloss on the, uh, on the, on the lyrics, which is, um, what are you trying to tell me, Julia? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing, not the kind, not the, not the particular kind of, 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 um, man of a certain age that you are, Steve, a different, a different Uh, varietal. Okay. Yes. Between Um, Julia having a birding song and Steven liking grumpy old man, I think I need to have a round where I have a song that's like, I don't know, listening to zithers or something. (laughs) Can I confess? I thought you picked the CMAT song because it's a, I thought the title was a joke about drinking too much. Cause wasn't that the old joke about Dana, the way she threw him back? Oh yeah. Dana oh, the, that's Dana true. The, that's my Gavis persona. Hard drinking. <laughs> Hard drinking Dana Stevens. <laughs> All right, the dial lands on you, Chris. What do you got? All right, I'm going to zap back to the mid-aughts and a song by Block Party called Positive Tension. Um, this is, as far as I'm concerned, the all-time best song from this peak mid-aughts UK indie rock band from their best album, their first album, Silent Alarm. Uh, and uh, it's... I don't know. I I keep waiting for a film or a TV music supervisor to use this song because it is strut personified. It's got such a badass tone to it. So if we can hear that block party song, I would love to listen to that.
hard to turn that song off. I love the whole thing beginning to end. There's this uh, ratcheted up tension. It's rare that a song's title describes what it is. It's called positive tension, and that's exactly what it is. There's this ratcheted up tautness all the way through the song. We didn't get to it, but there's a, uh, a bridge with a power guitar that builds to this explosion where the lead singer, uh, Kelly Okereke, shouts out, so fucking useless, which is very cathartic. Um, and, uh, you know, if I can be snarky for a second, there's a category that was named. It's a little bit like how Yacht Rock was not actually called Yacht Rock in the 70s and 80s and was called Yacht Rock 20 years later. After the aughts were over, the British press developed this term they call landfill indie, which is basically post-post-Britpop of the aughts. Think the Libertines, Editors, Razorlight, Kings of Leon, who are a U.S. band that mostly broke in the U.K., Kasabian. There were so many indie rock bands that were trying to do some version of this. Arctic Monkeys, who were actually really great. Um, so this is a sound that's like kind of now dated to 15 to 20 years ago, and yet this song has never died for me. It's it's still just as badass as it was the first time I heard it in 2005 when the album Silent Alarm came out. So thank you to whoever submitted that for a strut, because I love that song. Yeah, so cutting and angular. I love it. Yeah. Angular is the word. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I love when folks recommend songs that I like already know and love. Someone also recommended Out Hud's It's For You, which is from that era, although totally different type of music, which was um, just like a song I strutted to a lot in 2007 or whatever the heck. And I did not include it because it felt like cheating to put a good song I already knew, but I was happy to have it put in, in mind. I'm not above cheating. I, I've known that song for 17 years, and I still love it. But anyway, <laughs> well, everybody mm-hmm. makes their own ethics. For uh, it's it's you know it's <laughs> part of the the winnow is your personal you devising your own personal system for it. So. I was just going to say that my system, I had a high standard this year for putting a song on the list in terms of knowing it already because there was such a big selection. I mean, we had almost twice as as long of a list as we usually do to call from. And so I decided not only would I not put a song on if I already knew it, but even if I knew and loved the artist, I would not put the song on. And I tried to make it the point to introduce myself to new music, which is really a great part of doing this episode, that the best was if it was something entirely new to my ears. Julia, we've rotated back around to you. What uh, what do you got? What's the next one? Okay, next up. Speaking of of um, our our non grumpy, non old men on our panel, I would like to recommend the song "I Am Steve" by the band Hey Steve, which I'm amazed was not <laughs> on either of your lists, but um, I loved it. It made me think of of Steve's I know and love, and also the existential condition of being human in the world, which. I mean, that's the thing about music, like, I'm so much more comfortable with film and television and narrative and and art forms that are more strictly adherent to, like, having words that as a, as a narrative as a core of their function. And music is like poetry plus your body. I don't know. It's, it's, it's mystical and confusing, and I feel disoriented by it, and I love it. But it feels like it's so um, able to zoom out to the cosmic in a way that sometimes things with plot are less able to do so anyway this song is goofy but also i think like beautiful and profound i am steve i am steve there are many other steves but there is only one that is me i am steve i could have been a david or a gene but then i wouldn't really be me and i am steve in the morning steve in the eve steve in the mirror looking back saying who is me 
Me somehow when you listen to 42 hours of music, a gem like that can slip past your ears. Steve, do you feel seen? I mean, I, 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 seen is one way to put it through the scope of a kill shot rifle, maybe like it's the most (laughs) cunningly delivered, like insult I think I've ever been on the receiving end of. But, but you know, it also felt like love, Julia. I don't think it's an insult at all. I like really, I, 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 I think that song is beautiful. It's like about, um, you know, what's, what's the point of life? We all got to figure it out. I, 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 and also it does go with my like campus basement bar motif. Like I definitely think this campus band is also singing this song, but I, but I don't know. I think it's great. Um, and it's encouraging Steve to be the best Steve he can be. So what's not to love about that? Yeah, I was going to say, Steve, if there was a song like that with my name, I would use it as my pump-up song before big events. I would completely want to be the best Dane I could be. <laughs> um, could, what do you know about Hey Steve? I mean, I don't know a ton about Hey Steve. Okay, this much I know. The band was originally called, this is a great name, Republican Hair. And then... <laughs> Republican hair, I kid you not. And then they were briefly known as just Steve, a band called Steve, <laughs> before they added the hay. And in an interview, the main guy, a guy named Luke Dick, said the hay makes the name, quote, at least 30% friendlier. Um, so do with that what you will. They're, he's from Oklahoma, but they're based in Nashville. Um, they were formed just before the pandemic and they had an early single called do the apocalypse. So you can probably figure out more or less what that's about. Um, and they've been compared to a kind of retro, no new wave sound, like the cars, Devo talking heads, that kind of vibe. But, um, yeah, it's kind of like this automaton pop punk that, you know, you can, I guess, take about as seriously as you want to take it. Can I, can I just, we should leave it with Steve. Can I just, I'm now on the lyrics, uh, you know, the genius.com page for this song. And can I just read some of the lyrics of what is supposedly my pump up song? (laughs) Please, please. I am Steve, Steve in the ocean, Steve in the sea, Steve looking for the meaning of Steve, Steve feeling lonely, Steve ain't alone. There's a million other Steves in the little Steve homes. <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful. <laughs> we we're all on a universal quest to find meaning in our lives and we're alone and yet together. Are you sure it's not about an army of like dipshits who think they're existentially special but would like could stand to use the news that in fact there are a million other Steves in little Steve homes? <laughs> I found the song to be affirming and it was intended with love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, God. I love jamming to a reflection on identity. That's going to go onto my short list now. All right, uh, Dana, what's your next uh, strut submission here? Well, so I'm going to contrast. Since my last song, my first uh, song that I introduced was so new and just came out on this woman's debut album two months ago, I'm going to, I think, go to my the oldest song on my list, which is from 1977, Some listener probably knew that you can always get me with some sort of classic, gritty soul song. And this is from an artist I don't know at all that I can't wait to hear about from Chris named Millie Jackson. So it's You Created a Monster. 
Okay, yeah, I know she's got stories because I read a bit of backstory about her, but I want to hear you on her. First, let's listen to some of, of You Created a Monster from 1977. It's from her album, Feelin' Bitchy. <laughs> and that is very much the feeling of the song. It's this wonderful combination of kind of an angry feminist anthem with really, really funny lyrics about actual monsters, about, you know, vampires and sort of Frankenstein figures. And I guess the basic premise of the song is you, the addressee of the song, presumably a boyfriend of the singer of the song, has created a monster by bringing a sweet country girl into the city and teaching her, you know, all the the gritty ways of the city. But really, I mean, it's what it sounds like to me is this kind of way ahead of its time, um, you know, riot girl soul. Let's hear a little bit if you created a monster. All right, take it away, Chris. Who is Millie Jackson, and why is her music so good? (laughs) Who, indeed. Oh, my God. They broke the mold when they made Millie Jackson. So Millie Jackson has been called the mother of rap, which is kind of a misnomer because it assumes that she's actually rapping. What she does is she talks shit on her records. Like, the thing you were just hearing, she's actually singing most of the way through, but on a lot of her records, she just starts talking. She talks and at the end of this song. Yeah, she just kind of breaks into she does. almost as if she's just chatting with the audience, ad-libbing, but continuing Correct. to trash talk the boyfriend. Correct. The trash talk is exactly right. It's like she's she's playing the dozens uh, in the middle of one of her own records. Her career began, I kid you not, I, I looked this up on All Music to confirm it. Her career began when she heckled a singer in 1964. <laughs> and I, th- I think she was challenged, like, well, let's see you do better. And she's like, all right, I will. And she climbed up on stage and proceeded to wow the crowd. And thus her singing <laughs> career began. And the thing about Millie Jackson was that in the 70s, especially, she was a pretty serious R&B hit maker. She didn't have a whole lot of pop hits. She crossed into the pop top 40 a couple of times. But like, on R&B radio, she was like a regular presence. Um, that song is from her 1977 LP, Feelin' Bitchy. By the way, she has like no filter when it comes to her album titles. I first learned who Millie Jackson was in the late 80s when I was flipping through CDs in a store. And I saw an album by her called Back to the Shit, where she's literally sitting on a toilet. I'm not kidding. <laughs> And I, what what is kind of inspiring about the record, by the way, that isn't the single from Feeling Bitchy, the 1977 LP. Uh, one of the singles is All the Way Lover, which is a song about uh, oral sex, basically commanding her man to go down on her, uh, you know, 40 years before WAP by Cardi B. Um, and that song is like a proto Lizzo with 70s brass. I mean, it's like rap attitude and these unfiltered loving myself lyrics. Um you know, it's like before Lil' Kim, before Cardi B, before Nicki Minaj, you know, Millie Jackson was codifying how you could be a woman and have like hip hop attitude before anybody knew what hip hop was. So yeah, she, there is no other artist like Millie Jackson, <laughs> that to say the least. Okay, back to me. Uh, my next song, um, it just, uh, I, I used to make this ass nine joke that I think either no one got or maybe everyone got, but um, it wasn't even a joke. It was an expression of affection. I used to call Julia, Julia Turner Overdrive after the old Dan Bachman Turner <laughs> Overdrive. And uh, right. uh, uh, this is uh, this is from the uh, British band Corner Shop, all one word. 
and the song is Lessons Learned from Rocky 1 to Rocky 3, and it starts with the chunk and reverb of uh, classic Bachman-Turner Overdrive. Reporting damage in a soft rock ship The TSP rock school The overgrown super ship The supermodels all they can get enough of it The overgrown super ship Against the GTX It was rugged GT Lessons learned from Rocky 1 to Rocky 3 Lesson 1, the AMRs are in it to the hips <laughs> I love that I mean, one. Yeah, it just kicks, right? I mean, there's so much snap to the drums. The guitar is just unapologetically retro, but the lyrics, I think, are kind of. I mean, they are rhyming shit with shit repeatedly throughout the song. <laughs> Nonetheless, there are a lot of really fun. It seems to be uh, an allegory for selling out from Rocky 1 to Rocky 3. Uh, lessons learned from Rocky 1 to lo- Rocky 3. Sheepskin shoes tend to ruin industry. Lesson 2, cop the groove. Lesson 3 is to ignore 4. I don't know. I just think this thing's got the weirdest energy. And Corner Shop has an interesting backstory. Right, Chris? They really do. Um, it's interesting to hear your interpretation of the lyrics. I think you're probably right. Because this is from Corner Shop's 2002 album. But they came up in the 90s at the height of Britpop. And what made Corner Shop interesting at the height of Britpop in the 90s was that, you know, they're led by a South Asian man to gender sing who, you know, maybe the be- their best-known track that isn't this is Brimful of Asha, which uh, was even featured on a Friends episode in the 90s, if you listen closely enough. Uh, Brimful of Asha is about the history of the the Bollywood Indian movie industry. Um, and it's catchy as hell. It's, it's, it's easily as catchy as this. And it was remixed by Fatboy Slim and turned into a number one UK hit. Um, but this is from their O2 album. And what's kind of meta is that this is the album where they're going even deeper into just straight up rock. They're not even trying to be left of center. Uh, they worked on this album with members from Oasis. In fact, the bassist from Oasis uh, plays on this record. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's easy, maybe the struttiest thing they'd done since Brimful of Asha. I think it, whoever put it on the strut mix knew what they were doing. I, I gotta, I gotta say, I endorse it. All right, Chris, it's, it's you now. Um, I want to thank whoever put, uh, a couple of songs. I don't know if it was one person or multiple people from, uh, Royce and Murphy, um, we could listen to either one of them, uh, either if we're in love or Ramalama Bang Bang. Um, maybe <laughs> let's listen to um, if we're in love uh, to start with. When the supreme mystery decide to reveal all to us and make an endless Yeah, I really love that. Um, Roisin Murphy is Irish. She's formerly of the duo, and this is now long ago because this dates back to the 90s, Moloko, M-O-L-O-K-O. And they were hit makers in the UK around the turn of the millennium. And then in 2005, she went solo with this album, Ruby Blue, which is what this song is from. And Honestly, it's just been like one strength after another from her ever since. Like her career has been pretty well acclaimed. She went on to, you know, a really uh, 
excellent uh, solo career. And what I love about If We're In Love is it's this deceptively simple-seeming disco R&B with pinging synths, and, and the arrangement of that song is actually kind of complex once you get past the surface of it. Um, and that's true of a lot of what Royshan Murphy does. She's like straight up pop. She's never veered from doing something that is in conversation with centrist pop. And yet she always manages to make it a little quirky, which I, I like and, uh, and never loses the hooks at the same time. So I, I, if, if I, if we had more time, I'd ask that we play Ramalama bang bang because it's, it's also spectacular, uh, and, uh, a very different sound, but, uh, we can, we can stick to this one. That song is so great. I had that on a long list and winnowed, but I I gotta I gotta re-add it. It's uh I I had sort of missed the complexities of it. I think on a quick listen, it wasn't a jammy enough red. I mean, that's <laughs> almost in the hammock song category that we've come up with in previous years, right? It's more like a tall, cool drink of a song. It's a more loping strut than some of the struttier songs that we've been playing. So yeah, it it kind of squares the circle between hammock and uh, straight up street strut. All right, Julia, what do you got? Okay, well, this is a different kind of jammy red, which is less the goofy um, campus bar song that sticks out for its wackiness and more the song that sticks out for its sonic unusualness. Um, I would love for us all to listen to Muhammadu Lo and His Children by the Wow Wow Collective. Jambari Gornyango Baika Bay nor bay nawe nyudunde Dunde Sundawe nyuwe Yowe Sunore nyutial Utial Utial Utin Dakaru Dakaru Bodemenu nila dufi Dufi De Bumbay me doche nyue komom Komom Bumbay me dohul nga feibor Feibor Musibala Musibala The song just kept leaping out at me. It felt so intimate, like this private little moment. It felt like music for yourself or music for your own pleasure, music for like familial love and conversation. And I I don't know, it, it just felt like a really unusual and beautiful track. Yeah, this one was absolutely leapt out at me from the original submissions list right away, went on to my final list right away. I, I love this. Chris, it has a really interesting story, right? Well, yeah, because there is some ambition to the Wawa Collective in that it's combining a bunch of avant-garde Afro-jazz players from both Senegal and Sweden. Um, it's the pri- the two primary movers are a multi-instrumentalist named Aruna Kane. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who I think is from Senegal and Carl Jonas Vindqvist, who I'm almost positive is the person from Sweden. And, uh, this is from their acclaimed 2021 album, Yaral Sadum, uh, which I think made some year end lists. It, it, it won general acclaim. And, um, what I think it was Pitchfork said about it was that, that song, Mumadu Lo and His Children, feels like it's set in a sunken Polynesia. It's got this oddly almost Hawaiian vibe to it, um, but it, it, it's hard to place in any one country's tradition or, or location. You know, you, you get tired of that old phrase, world music, but I mean, if, if it means anything, it means something like this, where it combines the sounds of a polyglot, assortment of players into something unique. 
All right, Dana, you're you're up. What's next? All right, I'm going to go full pop on this next one, and I'm sure that there's some good storytelling behind it, but for me, this really does feel like a song of the summer type of song that you would want to have on a long driving trip. And again, I could karaoke it with joy. It's Silk Chiffon by Muna and Phoebe Bridgers. Let's listen to it a little bit and then uh, get into it. Love this song. Love this song. And I would say I would also classify it in quarantine on we like life's so fun. Life's so fun. Don't have to worry about anyone. Like that's so not true <laughs> about anything, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a there's a protest too much quality to that lyric. And I think knowing these uh, two artists, that feels very knowing and intentional to me. I also would love to point out a, a dynamic which is sometimes listening to Summer Strut makes me feel old and behind the times because I'm a lame who doesn't follow music closely and our wonderful listeners like point me to stuff and, you know, late in the day, you know, one of a song on here that I like that maybe we'll get to is by Orville Peck. I've been hearing about Orville Peck for three years. Interesting country musician. Never actually like cued him up. Finally heard a song. Great. Weirdly, occasionally, Strut turns us into the avant-garde because our listeners will tip us to someone before they become huge. And that definitely happened with Lizzo. Like, we had good as hell on our playlist, you know, way back before she was, you know, playing flute at the Grammys. Um, And I would say that Muna is actually a band that I am obsessed with from Strut. Like, I had loudspeaker of theirs on my list, I think, in 2016, um, I had number one fan two years ago, and now I'm officially like Muna's number one fan. I can't stop recommending Muna songs. We've got Dana on the Muna bandwagon. G- give us, give us the Muna skinny. Well, the Muna skinny is that th- they actually have been on a bit of a journey, and it's funny that we've had them on Summer Strut years back because in the middle of the tens. They were on a big old major label. They were on RCA, and RCA was really trying to push them as like the next big pop act. They're a, a trio from LA who I think met in college. They were formed in the early 10s. They signed to RCA pretty quickly, and then RCA dropped them after a couple of albums. And the happy ending to this story, and this is kind of where we pick up the Muna story, is that Phoebe Bridgers, who sings on the song Dana Had Us Play, Silk Chiffon, Phoebe Bridgers also owns her own indie label, um, Saddest Factory. And she has, which I'm just realizing as I'm saying out loud is a pun on the word Satisfactory, but it's actually Saddest Factory. Anyway, Saddest Factory has now released Muna's latest album, um, and it's already doing better on the charts than anything that they did with RCA. Um, and Rolling Stone named Silk Chiffon one of its best songs for 2021, Um, so it got a lot of acclaim. They're actually weirdly now getting more attention. Another thing that's kind of obvious about the song that I think is, is, is part of, um, Muna's deal is that it's a very queer song. It's three queer women, right? One of them is non-binary in the band, I believe. And, uh, you know, bringing in another female singer and singing about, you know, a very sexy woman. So it's, it's a great kind of queer anthem on that level too. Right. Well, 
kind of picking up on that thread, like Phoebe Bridger's genius for sounding upbeat and downbeat at the same time. That kind of describes the vibe of 70s disco, right? It's like incredibly cyberitically celebratory music with this deep streak of melancholy to it. Um, uh, or the best disco, the disco that I love. I have two disco songs on my list from that period that have fallen through the cracks, not well remembered. And I wonder if it would be possible to cram them, like hear a little bit of each. Mm-hmm. All right. First one is Darling Come Back Home by Barbara Mason. What a find. That's a beautiful song. Isn't it? She's such an incredible singer, right? And it's the juxtaposition, Chris, maybe of that classic disco uh, bass line, you know, which is Mm -hmm. just so, it's like bland, unrelenting. And then that kind of almost, she's almost like a torch singer on top of it in a way. I just think it's a great cut. It's a great cut. Um, you know, Barbara Mason is kind of a Philly soul legend. She's a queen of Philly soul dating back to the 60s. She had an enormous hit in 1965 called Yes, I'm Ready, which you might either know in her version or a version that hit in the disco era by uh, Terry Desario and Casey of Casey and the Sunshine Band. They're, they were both big hits because that song's irresistible. And then she just kept recording hit albums, mostly that hit on the R&B chart with occasional pop crossover. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of, uh, that's from an album, uh, that she put out in 78 called I am your woman. She is your wife. And that title kind of says it all because it's the whole album. It's just, to some extent th- themed around infidelity and that lyric that's on this track, come back home. Everything that I've been living for is gone. You know, she, she, in the seventies kind of became this fairly bold, not Millie Jackson bold, but fairly bold chronicler of heartbreak and infidelity and, you know, sexual agency and that kind of thing. So Barbara Mason's great. Yeah. I'm so glad you think so. And then the other one just super quick is the tramps two M's were yep. best known as a one hit wonder, I think because of disco Inferno, but they have, this, I'd never heard the song before. I totally dig it. Rubber band. I mean, Chris, am I correct that also classic Philly soul disco song? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If there's a theme between the two songs you drew together, it's it's even less disco, although it's certainly disco era instrumentation than Philly soul. And in a way, that song's even more pure Philly soul than the Barbara Mason song was. Also, I'm going to call this right now for anybody who's younger and knows millennial hip hop. If you're hearing that record and you're thinking, why does that sound so familiar? It's because the huge top five hit by The Game and 50 Cent from 2005, Hate It or Love It, heavily samples that song. So that little horn chart that keeps coming back, that is the main hook from Hate It or Love It. Also, there's a Mary J. Blige song from the same year, MJB to MVP, that uses the same hook. That hook made the rounds in hip-hop about 15 years ago. Um, But but you're right about the tramp 
Tramps being primarily known for Disco Inferno, that's the record that's going to go down in history for them. They're not quite a one-hit wonder, certainly not on the R&B side, but that's overwhelmingly their biggest hit. But um, but in a way, Rubber Band is kind of legendary in its own way, and it's it's their almost pre-disco sound. It's it's more mm. classic Philly soul than disco disco. It's not like four on the floor disco, but it's it's got that disco vibe anyway. Awesome. All right, Chris, back to you. Uh, we've been playing some goofy songs and it's my turn to do a goof. So can we please play Liam Lynch's My United States of Whatever? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I went down to the beach and saw Kiki. She was all like, eh, and I'm like, whatever. This chick comes up to me and she's all like, hey, aren't you that dude? And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So later, I'm, I'm at the pool hall and this girl comes up and she's all like, uh, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Because this is my United States of whatever. And this is my United States of whatever. Can I just say, oh watching Malamphy head bop to that and mouth the words. Yes. <laughs> during the zoom was the best i'm cheating again because i know that song really really well and i love every second of it i just love everything about that song it's perfection what's the background there okay so liam lynch is this weird multi-hyphenate he's not primarily even a recording artist for for example he's been a music video director he directed the sarah silverman movie jesus is magic he's kind of comedy adjacent like for example he's he toured with and or Recorded with Tenacious D, the the famed duo of of uh, Jack Black and Kyle Goss, who you know were recording comedy metal in the aughts. Um, he also is a puppeteer because his first big break in the late '90s was he was one of the creators of the Syphil and Ollie show, which is this you know millennial era show between these two goofy puppets and this song my united states what is of whatever was first performed on an episode of syphil and ollie but then it didn't become a single until 2002 it won wide acclaim um it didn't become like a you know top 40 pop hit it's just too weird for that but like it really made the rounds it was like a kind of a a heavy meme in 02 and 03 and i kind of felt at the time like it was satirizing the rise of the garage rock revival in the era of the strokes the white stripes the vines the the bands it's got some of that vibe um but just a total goof and i it makes it cracks me up i've, I've been hearing this song for 20 years and i still think it's funny oh there yeah the panel just, you know, just collapsed in, in laughter. It's so perfect. Uh, all right, swinging back around to you, Julia. What's, uh, what's your next uh, offering here? All right, well, let's get to um, the aforementioned Orville Peck song, Daytona Sand. Buddy, we got major boots. Another suitcase in your hand. You brought your walking shoes Cause it's quite a ways from what I understand So I come up big blonde I think I could have been your man We watch the surfers as they whip on the strand So 
as I said, I've been meaning to check out Arville Peck since I first started reading about him a few years ago and just never got around to it and sort of had in my head the word cloud like uh, queer, glam, country, phenom, I guess. But what I did not expect was the music to sound like kind of... um, it's almost like channeling Johnny Cash, but with irony, totally. but in a respectful way. And then the beat is good. I don't know. It, it like the 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 word cloud and the music didn't line up in the way that I expected them to. And then I just this was one of those ones that I kept having in my head and kept sticking with me. Yeah, I mean, Orville Peck is hard to describe, right? And you actually your description just now was right in the sense that. He seems like a figure of camp, and yet the music is not camp. Like in in a review I read, they said they called him self-aware, but not camp. And that's definitely true. Um, You know, Orville Peck is a gay cowboy with roots in South Africa. He was born in South Africa and raised in Canada. So like... He's not even really American in any way, shape, or form. He performs, for those who are not aware, with his face hidden behind a fringed mask. And he's never been photographed, at least as Orville Peck, he's never been photographed with his face revealed. Although several clever people have like, if you read the Wikipedia entry on Orville Peck, they've triangulated and kind of figured out who he is based on his past musical exploits. Um, But um, this is from his 2022 album Bronco, which just came out. It's funny. The one thing that um, that review in Pitchfork was written by my friend, um, Stephen Thomas Erlewine. And he said the one thing he didn't love about it was the vocal, which you can kind of take or leave. There's something very Elvis Cross with Johnny Cash about that vocal. And it's the most campy thing about it. But everything else about the music is pretty, you know, fiery, galloping country, like old school country. Um, And he's gone full Nashville. He records in Nashville now. So despite his South African and Canadian roots, he, he really is going for center of the bullseye country instrumentation. And he's, he's hard to describe. A word cloud is just about right, Julia, but he's, uh, he's one of a kind. Wow. Learning that he performs in a fringed mask, which is really intriguing and fascinating in itself, really goes with the the feeling of his voice, which when I heard that song, I felt like I, I feel like he's singing in character. Again, it seemed like it could come from some sort of, I don't know, country rock opera where he's playing some character. And it also made me think of, you know, the Elvis movie that we just talked about on the show and Austin Butler's performance. Sure. I mean, it just it seemed like he was mining these tropes for the sound of his voice and, and trying to do something new with it. So the idea that he, you know, is this this masquerade like figure who performs in a mask makes a lot of sense. Uh, Dana, wheel spins to you. What do you got? All right. I have a little story behind my next one. So one of the many places I listened to this 42-hour playlist was on a, a car trip, a, um, a weekend car trip with my family. And for the most part, my daughter, who's 16, was somewhat checked out. She wasn't disliking the music. She just wasn't really commenting on it. And then this one song came on and she said, I know this song. And one of her friends a few years ago, who no longer goes to her school, had given her this song on, you know, the, the equivalent of, a, of what we used to make mixtapes in high school for each other on a playlist. Um, and, you know, so she had this nice memory with it. And maybe that's part of why I love this song so much. But I think that it has more to do with 
the same thing that would have made a high school friend want to give a friend this song in a playlist, which is that it's a beautiful little song about um, friendship. And I think about saying goodbye. It sounds to me like it's something that is at the end of a summer romance or maybe just a summer friendship. So this isn't quite a strutting mood. It's more of a, a reflective throwing, throwing pebbles in a pond kind of mood. And it's called Walden Pond, and it's by Attaboy. You spend your days writing verses on your page. May your life be a wall and pond swim, taking showers in the cold, and your glasses filled to their brim. And I hope you treat your heart real nice and real smart. May your life be a wall and pond swim, can't be worthless seeing stars. Rocky Road for me and him. So have I completely broken the rules of strut by really loving this song that is not particularly strutty and is really melancholic and reflective? I just think it's such a, a beautiful um, balance between, you know, a kind of sweet singable feeling and again as as was the case with my first song about addiction and alcoholism, a kind of a, a lonely uh, melancholy center. I don't think so. It's a beautiful one. It w- it didn't make my list for lack of strutery, but I it, it it it's a beautiful piece of song craft. I would also say that that's a form of summer song. It may not be a form of strutty song, but it's absolutely a form of summer song to do a wistful end of summer looking back at, you know, your feeling of romance and you know, that whole thing. I I remember I wrote a why is the song number 1 piece back in 2016 about the song Closer by um the Chainsmokers, which came out like in late July and topped the charts in like late August. And I said, it's kind of like, you know, the scene in Greece where Danny Zuko and, you know, um, what's her name? Olivia Newton-John's character, Sandy, are reminiscing about the summer they just spent together. And like, to me, that's that's a summer mood. Like, you know, so this can qualify as that summer mood. Yeah, there's something wonderfully immature about it. And it's funny because the band Attaboy apparently recently reunited after eight years on hiatus. But this is from their early, their you know, their first album in 2012. And I was reading an, an right. interview with the, uh, I believe, with the lead singer, the woman singing there. And one of the things she said was, yeah, we feel like our music back in 2012 was immature and our lyrics have really matured a lot. But I think what I love about this song is that it feels like it was written by a young person for a young person, you know, and maybe that was reinforced by the fact that, you know, I have a 16 year old in the back seat saying, my friend gave me this song, but it has that feeling of a very intimate personal Valentine. And, uh, and that's why it stuck with me. Mm, all right. Well, I, I'm going to break exactly the same rules of strut with my submission here. It's called would you by Lil Halima. Uh, and uh, it's also got that like kind of melancholy and a summer melancholy to it. Let's listen to it. This is something that we can't repair. Careful steps since you left me here. If you were me, you would want to be free. Would you, would you let me go? Would you, would you? I 
I mean, I just got to say that song slays me every time. It, it, I love the way it develops melodically and grows. Mm-hmm. Like, it is not a static song at all. Um, her voice to me is exquisite. It's so gentle with so much depth of feeling. And then the other thing I love about it is there's a, I'm assuming it's either a heavily synthed bass or a synth made to sound like a bass. And I would love to see that written musically notated because there's it, that player is hitting one really unexpected note in that bass line it really jumps out as like kind of almost stretching into another key but it's not clever it somehow just it, it is a wonderful uh counterpoint to what's going on melodically with the song i just i love that song who is this I mean, Lil Halima, um, she's a Kenyan-Norwegian indie pop artist. This is from her 2018 album. Um, it's got this... I, I hear what you're saying about the bass line because there's almost a kind of a burn or an edge or a shimmer to it that, you know, really gives the song heavy vibes. Um I love the lyric, feels like we're earth walking up on the moon, right? So wrong and so beautiful. Like the whole, the whole record is a mood and it's that mm. mood. I, I got, I got big hammock vibes from this one. Um, and I, I almost got a bit of a SZA vibe. If, if anybody knows um, the R&B artist of the last five to seven years, SZA, um, her kind of moody vibe, like she translates that into mainstream R&B pop, but um, I, this little Halima track had had SZA vibes all over it for me. All right, Chris, uh, close us out. What's your final cut here? I am going to steal a song that I think was on your shortlist, Steve. Um, but uh, I assume you will allow me this conceit. Um, it's uh, a song by the Jungle Brothers called "Doing Our Own Dang." <laughs> Um, and, uh, well, let's just play it and we'll talk about it. Equipped with the brothers and the sisters and the sisters and the brothers And all the others with the funky flares The bugged out hairs, it's the life of Riley I'm really ready, gazing at the Gallifield rap The Kujun bugs, the wicks, the wax Praise the release for what it be And praise the Lord for the JBs So if you're hearing multiple voices on there That's because it's a posse cut Um, The posse cut has a great tradition in hip-hop Think of Scenario on a Tribe Called Quest's album in 91 Think of... What Puff Daddy was doing in the 90s on tracks like um, Flava and Your Ear Remix. Um, it's where you get a bunch of established rap acts together and throw a party beat behind it and let everybody take a turn at the mic. Um, where this is like nostalgic for me personally, and I'm showing my age here, as somebody who entered college in 1989 and graduated college in 1993, this is a, specifically a Native Tongues posse cut. Um, so who are the native tongues? The native tongues were this kind of loose collective of East Coast, mostly East Coast hip hop acts uh, with kind of Afrocentric lyrics and really eclectic sampling, some of it jazz based. I'm talking about De La Soul, who put out their album Three Feet High and Rising in 1989. I'm talking about A Tribe Called Quest, who 
debuted in 1990. You can hear Q-Tip rapping on that song. Later on, if we keep playing it, you can hear Queen Latifah. Moni Love, who's actually from London, she's the one non-East Coast rapper who's generally affiliated with the native tongues. If you were kind of a nerd in you know, the golden era of rap, which is generally regarded as about 1988 to about 1994 and includes such more militant rap acts as Public Enemy, such boom bap acts as Nas. The native tongues were kind of your nerdy rap faves. And the the fact that this track from the Jungle Brothers 1989 album done by the forces of nature, Jungle Brothers are also part of the native tongues, kind of assembles all of the, your favorites, you know, collect them all. Uh, from the native tongues on one posse cut is that's just pure nostalgia for me. So that's why I'm playing that jam. Yeah, it was, was for me too. It's kind of just, I guess, hip hop 1.1 almost, or it's like just before the full takeoff. And uh, it just, that's when I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. That's when I connected with that music. I just love, I love that cut. I'm glad you connected with it. All right, well, Chris, you're going to stick around, right, for plus? Absolutely. All right, fab, but as a pure formality, I'm going to say goodbye to you. Uh, Chris uh, Melanthi, of course, is the uh, host of the Hip Parade podcast. He's our omniscient one on the show for pop music. Uh, Chris, always a pleasure to have you on. That was great. I look forward to this every year, guys. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, really fun. And of course, uh, Dana. Thank you, Dana. Thanks, Steve. And also, I just have to use this second to say thanks so much to the listeners who send in songs. I mean, there are literally dozens of songs that I wish we could have gotten to in this show and that I will listen to in the future. So if you sent in a song and wished that I would love it, it's very likely that I did and just didn't get a chance to talk about it. So thank you all for expanding our musical horizons. Yeah, here, here. Absolutely. Julia, thank you so much. Thank you. And I, not to just steal all your lines here, but I also just want to thank Nadira, our our production assistant, who um, did a lot of work uh, going through all these songs, turning them into a playlist, keeping everything updated, counting the number of votes for Silk Chiffon, which was the most nominated, she reports in the in the chat. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, so much work goes into this and, and major thanks. Yeah, brilliant. All right. Well, you'll find links to some of the things we talked about today at our show page. That's slate.com slash culturefest. You can email us at culturefest at slate.com. We love to hear from you. Our introductory music is by Nicholas Bertel. Our producer is Cameron Drews. Our production assistant is Nadira Goff. For Chris Melanthi, Julia Turner, and Dana Stevens, I'm Stephen Metcalf. Thank you so much for joining us. Really fun episode every year. We'll, we'll see you soon. Hello and welcome to the Slot Plus segment of the Slate Culture Gab Fest Strat 22 edition. We're just going to give you one more beautiful round of songs. And since I'm the MC, I won't go first. I'm going to kick it over to Steve. Steve, you never get to go first. Cue oh, us up, man. Steve. Uh, yeah, first of all, just let me say so many honorable mentions here. There was like Deep Cut Stones I really liked. There was uh, that amazing old Talking Head song, When Love Comes to Town. I mean, just... I mean, there's just so much amazing music, but I, at the end of the day, unfamiliarity kind of 
one out. And uh, so I got to pick one more, and I'm so torn between so many cuts. But the deciding factor is my love for Dana Stevens. So <laughs> can we listen to Passagero by Tom Zay? Sigo por uma estrela Volto por teu sossego A mala, o casaco, até logo Um beijo, na volta eu te conto Um segredo A flor disse a primavera O rei disse ao passarinho Eu tenho um segredo pra você também Em um laço de fita de carinho So, <laughs> so Dana, I want you to imagine that I'm like a slightly creepy but not totally inappropriate wedding singer and you've decided to renew the vows that you actually never took in the first place with your partner. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, making dreamy eyes and singing this, uh, you know, I wouldn't say directly to you because they'd escort me out, but um, <laughs> I, I please tell me that this is Brazilian Portuguese that I'm listening to. This is, this is a precursor to Caetano Veloso, as I understand, and like a legendary Tropicalia singer. Um, who I had never heard of, and I just thought it was an inc- just an incredible song. I love music like this. Oh yeah, Tonze is such a master. I mean, I wouldn't quite call him a predecessor of of Veloso and the the Tropicalia movement. He's more like, you know, one of their a contemporary. Yeah, right? he's, a, he's a total contemporary, and was just as much a part of it at the beginning. But and maybe you can speak to this more, Chris. His music, unlike that of Caetano Veloso and Gilberto Gil and Maria Bethania and all these big names that you think of as part of the Tropicalia movement kind of dropped out of the conversation for a couple decades. And then David Byrne in the early 90s revived interest in Tonze with this great album. Steve, if you're interested in this, you should you should listen to this. But as I understand, David Byrne kind of dug up some unreleased tracks of Tonze and put them together mm-hmm. into an album, yeah. which did really well exactly. in the 90s. Is that right, Chris? That's exactly right. I, I don't actually have much to add. You, you nailed it in the sense that he's more or less a contemporary of Caetano Veloso and Gilberto Gil. This is taken from his 1970 self-titled LP at a time when Zay was really more influential than known. He he had an impact on Veloso and Gilles because he was a contemporary of theirs, but he was not a hit maker the way those two were. Um, and it was really David Byrne's reassessment at the turn of the 90s that kind of brought Tom Zay to the level of prominence that he kind of always deserved. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's more a glide than a strut, but uh, I think we can let it slide, right? Julia, do you want to weigh in on that? Uh, there was like a hot debate in the chat uh, as Nadira and Cameron felt they were being like romanced. And I was like, this is really challenging the definition. But I, but um, yeah, I, I think we'll allow it for, for share chutzpah. Um, all right. Uh, I'm mixing everything up. Chris, you go next. Oh, okay. Um you know, during our Songs of Summer conversation at the top of the show, I failed to mention one name that in some ways is bigger than anybody I talked about because he's had overwhelmingly the number one album of the summer, and that's uh, Bad Bunny, um, whose uh, uh, album uh, Un Verano Sin Ti, A Summer Without You, is far and away the 
soundtrack of the summer if you are into reggaeton. And even if you're not, it's kind of everywhere. And the reason why it didn't come up in Song of the Summer is that there's no one track from Un Verano Senti that is clearing the field. Hence, there's no song that's threatening for Song of Summer. But the album... It's funny, when he put it out, Bad Bunny said, I'm putting this out as a playlist that you can play during the summer. And that is exactly what everybody's doing. Bad Bunny, to be clear, is the most streamed artist in the world right now. Not just in Latin music, most streamed, period. He's like bigger than Drake right now. And um, appropriately, several listeners dropped songs by Bad Bunny into our playlist um, and uh, including the title track, Un Verano Sin Ti. But I'm going to cheat and pick Después de la Playa as an honorary pick by Nadira Goff, who says it's her favorite on the album, and it's one of my favorites on the album, too. So let's play that. I just love the way that tempo change happens and it becomes a total party. Um, it's notable also that that rhythm is really kind of a traditional salsa rhythm. You know, Bad Bunny is mostly known for the thump, the thump, 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 the thump of reggaeton. And the beginning part where there's no beat at all sounds like it could be resolving itself into a reggaeton song. And then it doesn't. It kind of turns into this just all out like salsa party track. And I, I don't know. I just really love that. There was a lot of bopping of heads going on in the Zoom squares during that one, Chris. That's a really fun one. All right, Dana, last pick. What you got? Oh, this is so hard. I feel like I want to become one of those, um, you know, super fast auctioneers just listing off different great songs for this last one. But I realized that one category that I almost always have on my strut list that I haven't talked about yet this year is the instrumental. I love a really tight instrumental with amazing musicianship that isn't like a noodly instrumental of people showing off, but it's just people having fun playing music with no words, which usually in my normal non-strut life is the kind of music I listen to most, something without lyrics. So from the many, many good instrumental tracks that were submitted, I'm going to go with this one called Mehalalel by Golems of the Red Planet. They are described as, I just have to read this self-description on their website, Golems of the Red Planet describe themselves as a third wave surf exploration of John Zorn's Masada songbooks. So Chris can unpack that for us after we hear a little bit of this track. But I just love that this to me sounds like the music from a really cool old movie, like a, a horror movie from the 60s or something. And just the amount of fun the musicians are having is, is, is awesome. So Mehalalel from Golems of the Red Planet.
so many good tonal shifts in there. I feel like everyone was freestyling in the chat about what movie that is the soundtrack to. (laughs) (laughs) I love Nadira's entry, stealing jewels and riding away on a speedboat. That is completely the vibe of that song, right? I mean, it's sort of James Bondy, sort of, I don't know, like a French gangster movie or something. I just, I like, I love the strutty mood of it. And I feel like if that came on, well, I know from a fact, from experience, this is true. When that comes on in a strut mix, you just get a very different sort of retro spring in your step? I I mean, what I know about John Zorn would fit in a thimble. The Masada Songbook is this collection of more than 200 pieces he did, I think starting in the 90s, that take their inspiration from various forms of Jewish music, which was always a, a focus of John Zorn. Klezmer, you know, classical music, Middle Eastern sounds. And so he put together this songbook of, of compositions. And I guess the surf rockers from Akron, Ohio, by the way, uh, Golems of the Red Planet <laughs> Surf is are very big in Akron. Yeah. Known, known for yeah, its right. breaks. Uh, exactly. I, you know, that they're interpreting the John Zorn songbook. So go figure. Uh, I, I liked it. I love that there's Klezmer in there. Now that you say that, I can I can definitely hear it. But it, it just sounded to me like so wonderfully retro. And well, if, if you keep on listening, the instrumentation also just gets crazier and crazier. It's just sort of like every instrument you can think of gets thrown into the mix. It made me want to <laughs> listen to more Golems of the Red Planet, for sure. All right. I'm going to wrap it up with a great note of gratitude for my our, for our suggestors, my fellow listeners, our compilers, our producers, our um, one-man music Wikipedia in Chris Malanfi. Uh, this continues my theme of corny but boppable. Let's go out with Fool by Fitz and the Tantrums, which has another great uh, anthemic opening stretch. You know, every year there's sort of the first song you hear twice and you're like, ooh, that one. And that was this one for me this year. It's just, it's funny and catchy and it's a jammy red, but uh, but it worked for me. I don't know anything about Fits in the Tantrums, though, other than thinking that their name is similarly corny but amusing. They've actually been uh, alternative radio hitmakers most of the last decade. They started out much more retro soul. Like their their breakthrough album in 2010 almost had a Dap Kings vibe to it, like Sharon Jones mm-hmm. and the Dap Kings, like they were doing straight up soul revival. You can still hear little elements of that soul revival thing in, in some of the vocals on that one, but they went much more straight center of the bullseye pop by the mid 10s. Um, and they, they had some chart toppers like uh, Out of My League, um, that were big modern rock radio hits. But um, but that one uh, is one of the better tracks from their 2016 album, which I think was self-titled. So, yeah. Oh, man, it's just, it, it is tough coming to the end of this, not being able to throw four or five more titles at Chris Malanfi just to have the human Wikipedia uh, tell me why I like them and what they are. But, 
Yeah, no, just uh, time to go, right? Time to wrap it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just such a wonderland to like dig to go crate diving with all of you and and figure out what our taste turns up. So thanks so much, listeners, for suggesting these songs, for listening to our show, for being Slate Plus subscribers, supporting this show and all of Slate's work. We will see you next week. <laughs>